I would like to bring out something that is hindering and something that can be your help. But you've got to get it. And that's why I wanted Dave to play that tape. Because in there, there were a number of things that were spoken and some things that aren't even on tape that have also come to pass. But that was enough to illustrate a point. Their things have been spoken when the possibility of those things happening were virtually nil. There was no, see, many people today think, well, sure, you can do something in Eureka because you have all the resources there. We have virtually nothing. I want to say to you that when we started at the ranch, I want to tell you how it was. We didn't have any resources either, and I'm not making that like some deal like no money. That isn't what I'm talking about. I mean, I wasn't even a resource. So you know, I said, oh, well, you knew all these things. No, I did not. I did not. See, at first, I told you when it first came in my office, it wasn't like, and James Durkin has been prepared by God from time immemorial. And when he came, he looked at them and saw, ha ha, this is the church. I said, man, how can I get these guys out of here? <laughs> I didn't see it. You know, the, oh, you saw it. No, I didn't see anything. See that? And my wife says, you have anything to do with them? I want nothing to do with it at all. She didn't see it. And she's a prophetess. See, she, oh, her eyes open. She says, Jim Durkin. Receive these people. They are the anointed of God. Just get them out of here. See, which is my contention. A person may be an apostle all the time, but I'm going to tell you he doesn't apostle all the time. See, sometimes you're playing, oh, I don't Now, after a time, God opened my eyes, and I beheld a little bit. Say, oh, and then you know all I knew how to do was practice the Word. Not how to practice it, but to practice. That's what I should say. You remember when Jesus talked to his disciples about prayer, it was an interesting thing. They didn't say, Lord, teach us how to pray. Now, it's many times quoted that way. You know what the, the rendering is? Teach us to pray. You know how you learn how to pray? By praying. There's no other way to learn how to pray. People are say, well, when you have this situation, you pray in this way. And when you do this, you do this. And then when you do that, you do this. You couldn't even remember it. Say, now I'm getting ready to pray. What was that he told me? Oh, yes, when I have a real burden, I shout loud into the heavens and say, and uh, when I have this kind of a burden, I weep before the Lord. Then when I just pray. And then when you pray, you're going to find the Spirit begins to move on you. And sometimes you're weeping and sometimes you're shouting and sometimes you're thundering. See, and sometimes you just, oh God, oh God, oh God. All powerful. There's no way to do it without doing it. See? So here they are. Okay, Lord, here they are. Now what do I do? Well, you need helpers. Here's 250 people. I wish they'd just, you know, we had 27 at the ranch. How nice that would have been if they stayed 27 people. You know, it was easy. You, I can even figure out how to get food for 27. Just say to my wife, honey, how do we get food for 27? It's real simple. Very simple. Very easy. Right? But then when it's hearing these people coming from everywhere, we hear there's an answer here. Praise God. Where's the answer? How are we going to feed them? I don't know how we're going to feed them. How do, what do we do, honey? I don't know what we're going to do. Church, we don't know, I don't know what we're going to do. So cut it back down to 25. That's what to do. Stand there at the gate. Tell them they can't come in. I said I'd like to do that, but God says, whosoever will may come, I can't stop them. And they're coming. Oh, Lord. Now, you think, oh, it wasn't like that. You stood there and you said, God, I have faith that you'll move mountains. I wish I could say that. I did. 
There were times I stood there looking at the finance. And 30 more people came in today. But I tell you, I had something to guide me. And I want to read it to you. Then I'm going to talk about the invisible realm. In the early days, you hear much talk about the invisible realm because I had to get them to do exactly what I was doing. See, I didn't have any idea what to do but just to practice the Word. So I went back to the Word and I'm, Lord, show me what to do. I don't know what to do. We didn't have it all developed about apostles, prophets. Jim Durkin's an apostle. This person's a prophet and this one's a teacher and this one. Nothing like that. Here I am, and here they are, and God's done something. Now, Lord, what do we do? But I had this. God, some years before, had given me five things that began to shape my life. And I would to God it would shape yours. And I know some of you it has. I put down, I cannot please everyone. Therefore, I choose to please God. And then who that pleases will be drawn to me. This will be my working team. See, and I put this down to no one's shame, but when some people said, keep it at 25, I said, I'd like to, but I don't know how to. Because I can't stand there. And I want to tell you something. I've known any number of ministries that have tried exactly that. And as far as I know, they're all gone today. Our house only holds this much, no more. I said, whosoever will may come. They said, hold it to that number. Only let on people who can support themselves. I said, what am I going to do when a woman that was pregnant at 14 or 15 maybe has lived with several men, she has three children or something, no husband to take care of her, walks up there with her children and says, I'm here. I hear there's an answer for my life. I hear there's love here. I hear I can find reality. And I stand there and say, sorry, our number's filled up. Keep looking. No, I said, it says whosoever will may come. Come on. I don't know how we're going to do it all, but you come on. And a whole lot more like that. That was not easy and it will not be easy for you. Where you are, you're crying out, help us, help us. I cried out for help. There was no help except right in front of me. In these people that were there. Here they were. We're here, we'll do anything you want. But I didn't see them at first for what they were. They didn't look like much. They didn't act like much. didn't talk like much from my perspective. Then one day I got a, one of those great eye-opening, wonderful happenings that happened several times in our lifetime. Thank God for that. I thought, what a wonderful job I'm doing loving this bunch of hippies and so forth and so on. I thought my wife, you know, just wonderful how God is helping us to reach out and love these people. How, you know, never thought they were having some kind of a trouble loving me. Or maybe they weren't. But anyhow, a gal got up one Sunday morning. We had a brother there preaching, missionary brother, and he was preaching about missionary Mexico and so forth and so on. And there's a little testimony time, and this girl got up, and she said, when I stand there and look at our brother preaching day, and 
Brother Jim Durkin in his tie and suit and so forth and so on, short hair. She said, I never thought I could ever love anyone who wore a suit and a tie and cut his hair short. But God has helped me to love this man. What a revelation. <laughs> oh, John, what a work you're doing. There's no reason we should be together. She said it herself. I never thought I could even. And I'm saying, I know how I can. God said, but I did it. I, I put you together. See? Then one day I was, oh, if I want to have some talent. Oh, preacher always running around talent. We're still calling them gifts today. In the old days, you called out. If I had some talented people, people who could lead songs, people who could lead services, people who could teach Sunday school, people who could. Some going around like this. Oh, where are they, Lord? Oh, I, you know, if I had a administration, if I had uh, someone who could. Uh, someone around. Oh, if I only had this, I had. Someone says, uh, "Well, you ought to go over there and uh, check out uh, this sister. She's a topographer, you know." What? Oh, yeah, took the topography in college. Uh, this brother over here, he's an uh, architect. Did you know that? Huh? Architect? This brother over here, he's, uh, and his sister. And the next thing I began to hear, here's all these fantastic gifts. And I don't see anything except long hair and wow, wow. <laughs> And I think I kind of had myself an image then as the great white father who was benevolent. <laughs> and then I began to look around and I got a, another revelation. See, it had to come to me like it's going to have to come to you in the same way. Another revelation. That if I had a million dollars and could go out on the campuses of the United States and pick the top graduates and offer them. I'll give you 20000 a year, 50000 I'll give you. I couldn't have bought with all that money what God had brought and their hearts had said, here, everything we have in our we give it to Jesus and we give it to you, use it. We'll do anything. We'll go anywhere. We'll suffer any sacrifice. We found reality here. Again, I say I wish I could tell you I were wise, but I'm glad now that I wasn't. Because now I can say to you, you are not wise either. You're looking for help to come from outside, dramatically galloping in and doing all the things. And that help will come. I got help too like that. There are men I could call that would counsel me and some people that came by in those days that would preach and we got some help. But you know where most of it came from? Right out of what God had given us in front of us. And out of that thing, as my eyes opened up, see, here was the pattern. How are we going to do it, oh God? I will put my spirit upon them. And they shall... Be skilled in. Then when I hear some of these brothers stand up here and preach, who one time could hardly say anything except far out and so forth. 
I pass on to you my own experience. Let it become yours. In front of you is the greatest treasure. God has given it to you. There they are. If you could say, God, open my eyes and let me see what I have here. You may discover apostles that you never knew. And prophets that you couldn't have guessed. And teachers of great power and evangelists and pastors and elders. All kinds of wonderful treasures out there. But you have to create an atmosphere. Ron was right in saying about that atmosphere. It has to be created. It has to be a, a preaching that brings out those kinds of people. Now, I was listening to our brother Carlos as he spoke today about what happened as gospel outreach now somewhat matured. In other words, people became somewhat capable, able, but they weren't like super trained, super powerful. They were just kind of like me when I started. I didn't have all this. Yes, I had a lot of experiences, but basically those experiences taught me only one thing. Do not look to the left hand or the right hand, look to the Word of God, meditate in it, and walk in it. Do it. See, I didn't know everything in it. I don't know everything in it yet. I don't know everything about the gifts. I don't know everything about the apostolic office or prophetic or evangelist. I don't know everything about anything. But I'm still doing what I've always done. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. I don't care what breaks loose. Get up again and walk on some more. See? All right, now, second thing. I cannot do everything that people want done. Therefore, I will find what God wants to do, and I'll do that. The second thing God gave me, I put that down, submit it to you. Put that down for yourself. I cannot do everything that people want done. Therefore, I will find what God wants done, and do that. See, and amazingly, in doing that, that causes gifts to be raised up, which in the end, people get their needs met. See, I can't meet them all. Like I'm saying right now to you, I can't meet your needs anymore. I thought Ben Gray said that very beautifully. I hear your cry, I hear the call, I hear the tears, I hear the frustrations. But there's no way I can do that. And as the work continues to grow and expand outward, no way possible that I can do it. Nor all the people with me in Eureka, nor all the other gifted ministries throughout you say, well, surely. No, there have to be raised up a continuing stream of new apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. For the work is spreading out, but not only is the work spreading out, we're touching other churches and groups. There comes a, teach us also. Unless there is a great multiplication of these gifts, we cannot meet them. All we can do is say, sorry, starving world, we can't help you. And then in the end, I must say, sorry, starving gospel outreach people, I can't help you either. So you just get along the best you can and wait till heaven and may the Lord help you. See? But no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying there is a solution. God never produced anything like that. All of his plans well-thought-through plans with solutions. But we're dull of hearing sometimes, and we need to look for those solutions, and that's what I'm doing. I'm saying, Lord, I'm dull of hearing. Help me to see what's obviously right in front of my face to see. Well, that's what he's showing me. That's why I'm back in Eureka, and we'll explain more about that as we go along. Third thing I want to put down, I cannot be everything that can be. I can't be a doctor. I can't be a lawyer. I can't be 
And I can't be an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, elder, deacon either. Plus singing songs, playing the piano, and giving a few prophecies along the way. Therefore, I will ask God what he wants me to be, and I'll be that. And the amazing thing, when I become that, others become what they're supposed to be, and then there it all is. Piano players, I think it's a wonderful thing. It used to be in the ministry, the Assembly of God, that a man always tried to marry, and it was one of the reasons why people started going to Bible school. Of course, the girls understood this, and their mothers understood it, and their fathers did, and they always gave the girls piano and voice lessons, and then shot them off to Bible school, because they knew that the young preachers would always be looking for a woman who could play the piano and sing songs. That was very important. So in those days, the women at all, you know, they just rushed to play specials, and I feel I have a special from the Lord, and of course a special from the Lord is like I hope Joe is looking at me. They and then, they like this, he's, oh wow, that's evidently my wife. You didn't really know I had a voice like that, did you? Well, the woman God gave me does not play the piano. She doesn't sing either. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> At least not like that, anyhow. <laughs> I said, Lord, what will we do? <laughs> you know, there's never been a church we've been to that there hasn't been two or three piano players and lots of people that could sing says, I'm trying to teach you a lesson. But Jim, you're hard to learn. Took you 25 years to learn. And I admit, I am pretty slow. You know, some guys pretty fast. I'm pretty slow. But I want to say about this group, you're pretty slow too. That's all right. <laughs> Evidently, God gave me the right children. Hallelujah. <laughs> but the wonderful thing is we've never lacked anything we needed. God gave it to us. Went up to a church, no parsonage. But there was a tent there. It leaked. But we learned some wonderful lessons in that tent. Out of it came whole things that later on would shape our ministry. Say, be what you are called to be. And let others be what they're called to be. Make room for them to rise up around you and encourage them and say, come forth. But I want to tell you, when you do that, you're going to be threatened. I'm threatened. Say, oh, no, you are mature in the Lord totally. I am mature in the Lord in that I overcome my threatenings. Don't think I'm not threatened. Someone gets up and preaches a really powerful sermon. Say, <laughs> 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 and it'll be like that for you too. You as elders and elders' wives, you'll have that problem. You know, someone rises up. I wonder if he's going to try to take over the church. No. No. Because in this ministry, we have a lot of smart people. And they pretty well know, after looking around a while, what that presiding elder goes through. They say, no, I think, brother, you should be the presiding elder. <laughs> now, at first, when you're real young, I feel God wants me to be a presiding elder. But after a while, oh, 
I prefer you. <laughs> You'll have your threatenings. Just stiffen up and say, hey, Lord, whatever I am, I will be. And whatever I'm not, I don't want to be. So if I'm not supposed to be here as the apostle of this ministry, hallelujah. See, someone said, what if you die? I said, well, I'll tell you this, I'm not going to die one minute before I should, and I'm not going to live one minute after I should. That I can tell you. And when I die, if I die, I don't think I will. I think I'm going to be here looking when the Lord comes. I say, see, but if I die, see, if that's a misjudgment, then at the moment that I pass on, there will be a Joshua and elders, or many Joshuas and many elders. The work will go on. This isn't my work. It's God's work. It isn't your work. It's God's work. See? And I don't count it my work. You shouldn't count it as your work. What does it matter if someone rises up that's better than you? Now, the Bible says, I want to say to every one of you, don't strive, quote, to be better than me or better than the ones who teach you or better than... But sometimes it happens that way. That's it. But it says, enough for his disciple if he be as his teacher. See, that's enough. So if you get to that place and strive to be there, praise God. But if you get better, don't let the teacher be, oh, wow. That doesn't matter either. Nothing matters. Because we're rewarded by faithfulness, not how great a sermon we preach or how good an administrator we are, how brilliant our act our so forth. That's nothing. Faithfulness. So if God raises this person up, hallelujah. Barnabas didn't say when Paul became the chief speaker, God, how could you do it to me? I have seniority on that guy. <laughs> Praise God, Lord. See, when Jesus raised up to his place of prominence, John the Baptist wasn't even filled with the Spirit as we know it today. But oh, he had a Spirit-led mentality. He said he must increase I must decrease. A man can receive nothing except that is given him of God. That's his work. This is my work. And he went on, did his work, and then Jesus said of men born of women, none greater has risen than this man. Six months of ministry. Okay, next point. I will blame no one for where I am. No one. Now, that's a hard one. If people had helped me, if people had given to me, if people had understood me, if people had, it's all foolishness and frustration to wear yourself out with that kind of thought. Long time ago, that was my way. It was my wife who was holding me back. It was my children who were dragging on me, the economic drain. I couldn't be free in the ministry because of this terrible financial. Let me get straight. I just hadn't learned how to make a living. It wasn't their fault. They didn't do anything to me. They just pointed up to me. Saying, the elders won't work with me. My wife contends against me. The neighborhood is a... This area is gospel-hardened. The whole country is in rebellion. On and on. A thousand things. I will blame no one for where I am. I am where I am as a result of my choices alone. What a deliverance came to me when I took that position. It wasn't my wife. It wasn't my children. It wasn't the church. It wasn't my choices. 
If I want my life to change, I must change my perceptions, how I perceive life. Our performance has nothing to do with our potential. It's how we see ourselves. If we see that potential and execute it, we'll reach our potential. But how great your potential is, you may never see one hundredth of that potential realized if we perceive ourselves as, uh, so I must change my perceptions, I must change my decisions, and I must change my actions. Then my life will change and no one can stop it. Not the devil or all the demons in hell or in the heavenlies, not the armies of this earth, not the nothing can stop me coming to my fulfillment of that destiny in God. But if I want to get there, I must perceive myself according to the word of God and I must walk that way. Therefore, I will blame no one else because that wastes my time. Instead of thinking about, instead of going back to the scripture and saying, that guy, this woman, this thing, that circumstance, this problem, this trouble. And really what I'm saying is, God, you're to blame. You could have done this for me. God's saying, yes, I could, but it would be the worst thing I could do for you. In the first place, it would be unrighteous in me to do it. In the second place, you would not have learned to be conformed to my son. You must learn to walk even as he walked. See, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Now, he had a lot of things come down on him, too. Look at these people. They don't receive my message. Look at how they're plotting against me. Look at this. Oh, there's no way I can do what I'm supposed to do. Father, take me back to heaven. I've had it. No, he said... Shall I say, Father, deliver me from this hour? Nay, for this very purpose I came into the world. And I tell you, all the devils and all the armies could not stop Christ. As a matter of fact, in the end, they would help him to that cross. And in doing so, they would become helpers with him. Even his enemies would in the end have to help him to do the very thing that God preordained and determined to be done. They but that had to be there. And how many of us, you have to ask yourself, how much of your time do you spend blaming everybody for where you are? Or circumstances? Or, don't do it, it's wasteful activity. It'll destroy you in the end. Now, last thing, I run no more. I will stand and fight Satan and his hordes where I am. I will leave only when I can leave with my head held high in victory through Jesus. I used to be a runner. Runner in the sense of when it got too hot, split. I can't tell you how many times I want to split with the ranch, split from Eureka in the church, split. But I made a holy vow to myself before God I run no more. I want to say about you. Take these five things. They changed my life. I run no more. I will stand and fight Satan. And if you want to add to it problems, troubles, circumstances, anything you want to put there, I'll fight. That's why I tell you, you need a warrior spirit. Too many of us are like sheep. Sheep run at the first sign of danger. Get out of your sheep. Now, there's a place where we should be sheep in the sense of grazing in God's pasture and following the shepherd. That's a place to be a sheep. And I'll tell you, when Satan comes, sheep stuff goes off. The armor goes on, and out comes the sword and the shield, and we fight. And you've got to have a warring spirit. All right.
I run no more. I will stand and fight Satan and his hordes where I am. Don't think you're going to fight Satan over in Africa someplace if you can't fight Satan in Eureka. I will leave only when I can leave with my head held high in victory through Jesus Christ. See? When I pounded the devil back, set his hordes in retreat, something is established, and I can put the sword away with honor and lay the shield down. Say, now, Lord, where do you want me to go? I want you to go to that battlefield. Amen, Lord. But I don't walk out of there leaving the field to the devil. Well, he beat me. Lord, now where do you want me to go fight the devil? I'll beat him where I am. Where you are is where God puts you. Look for the warriors you've got. Raise them up. See? Now, I want to preach on something that is tremendously important that I think can open up a realm again of thought that I follow. You're going to have to do it. So you're going to have to repeat, in a sense, the way I've been trained to think by the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to pass it on to you, and you search the Word of God for yourself. That's why I read that thing about this having that unity, learning to keep harmony with your brethren toward a common purpose and a common goal. There is an invisible realm, and I want to tell you something, that every battle is won in that invisible realm. It is never won when teams are sent out, like when we're talking to the ranch, we're going to send teams out, we're going to go to the ends of the earth, we are going to... The battle is not won when the teams go. I'll tell you when the battles are won. When one man or a hundred or a thousand, doesn't matter what it is, it can be one man, but better if many believe it. And if one man believes it and he preaches it, more will believe it. It is won when the man believes it and confesses it and determines to consistently act upon that principle. Now, going back to a natural principle, Henry Ford, Ford Motor Company, who's the founder of it and the inventor of the, the Ford Motor Automobile, he wanted to get away from the type of engine that had been built, and he wanted the V8 engine. He said to his engineers, build a V8 engine. They came back to him with facts and figures that absolutely proved which is sometimes the way the church does. They absolutely prove the world cannot be evangelized. The church cannot be unified. People cannot manifest the life of Jesus Christ in this earth. We cannot totally live the glorify God. We can't. Endless facts and figures. I mean, we hold books that show you that you just can't get people of different economic stratas together. They will not do it. It's not the truth. It's difficult. As a matter of fact, it's impossible. Except for God. Okay? But he said, I want that. We have searched this problem. We have researched it. We have studied it. We, here's the facts, the figures. Here's all the statistical research. Here's the experimentation. It cannot be done, Mr. Ford. I want that engine. Build it. Mr. Ford, we have labored for a year. It cannot be produced. I want that engine. Build it. Now, the rest is history. V8 engines are everywhere. And they finally came back and said, Mr. Ford, we've had a breakthrough. We can build it. Said, of course, you can build it. Now, I'm saying to you, out there where you are, God put you there. And there is everything that you need with some help from the outside. 
That will always be to keep us connected and flowing back and forth. That's right. But where you are, if you look, say, God, open my eyes. Let it be like Jim when he had his little perspective of how wonderful it is that I love these people. And his eyes were open to see that they were learning to love him too. Or, oh, if I only had talent, if I only had ability, if I only had gifted people. And then, here's this, and here's this, and here's this, and here's this. God, you put them all here. Look around where you are. and You will see the most remarkable display of gifts and powers. Not one person that left Egypt was feeble among them. God supplied them with everything they need and a whole lot more than they ever thought they would have. Gold, silver, jewels. The Egyptians are here, here, here. God said, that's my gift. You never had a thing. Some of you weren't even well. But I've made you well. And I've given you riches. And i got something for those things. Look around at your people. You're going to see unbelievable riches. Then go to them and say, I see that. And I'm going to make room for that. And I say, when you do make room for it, it's going to be... <laughs> Don't worry about that. When all that shaking is over, it's just like a person getting married. Think, oh, guy get married. That's not enough. What's getting married? I'm just going to honor a preacher, give him $2 or $5 or $10 and a license. And uh, he said, well, you're married. How easy. Right? Nothing to it, right? And along comes the children. And most husbands don't even know their wife is pregnant like for seven, eight months or something like that. And then finally, you know, she like this. We have a child. And he's dashing all about. Then the child is born. I say one of my great problems when my first child was born. I said to my wife, oh, I, how are we going to teach him the English language? I don't, I don't know anything about teaching <laughs> well, here they are years later, all grown, and they're married, and children coming along, and here I'm an old, experienced grandfather. Well, son, the way I would do that now is... Uh... <laughs> but no matter how much I tell him the way I would do it, he still tries it his way, and sometimes his way is the right way, but whether it's the right way or the wrong way, Somehow, when they're 19, 20, 21, 22, they met the right girl or the right boy. And they got married in the Lord. And here they are turning around and saying, Dad, Mom, thanks for the wonderful job you did. Why, certainly. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? If you create those basic conditions of harmony... If you look at your people with spiritual eyes and see what they are. If you've got a heart, I'm going to build it. I'm going to do what Jim and the brother said. We're going to build the work here. We're going to raise up here by the grace of God as many as God has given us. If they be apostles of prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, elders. God will give us gifts of healings and miracles and deacons and deaconesses and make room then you don't know what you'll have where you are. Explosions of grace will take place where you are. 